Terry for breakfast. Humans of the Wheat Belt. Thanks for joining us on our exclusive podcast on Listener. That's L-I-S-T-N-R. And we're continuing the Humans of the Wheat Belt series. Humans of the Wheat Belt is supported by the state government through the Wheat Belt Development Commission and managed by the Wheat Belt Health Network. It's a fantastic compilation of stories and it's come out in book form over the last few years. The first book was, I think, 2020 and the second book has been released in 2022. And my next guest is Annie Hudson, who hails from the Chittering area. Now, before we go on, we may cover some topics that may trigger some issues there. So if you do need some assistance, please call Lifeline 13 11 14. Annie Hudson, welcome to Humans of the Wheat Belt. Thanks so much for having me, Terry. Appreciate it. You're out there in Bindoon and doing some fantastic things at the Bindoon Library. I am. I am. My, my little library is kind of flourishing and it's kind of really wonderful to see. So... So much so, in 2020, a couple of years back, you were recognised at the Western Australian Regional Community Achievement Awards for making a difference at the library. Yes, yeah. I, um, it's one of those weird things where you sort of see these awards come up and, and they really promote them and say, you know, we need some nominations. But, you know, no one ever really, like, they won't nominate you. You have to do it yourself. <laughs> and um, it was just one of those things, you're sort of going, yeah, this kind of feels a little bit... Um, uh, presumptuous, I guess, to nominate myself, but I guess, in a way, um, I think if you, if you don't recognise your own achievements, no one else will. So sure. I put my name forward and shared my stories about um, my nomination was for our monthly theme months and their activities and and the difference that they made to our community. And apparently, the judges saw it's worth because yeah, managed to take the win. And you're up against two big councils here in WA. Yeah, yeah. There were there were four nominate uh, like four finalists and to be honest, it's one of those things where I can never really remember who they are because it was all such a blur on the night. Um uh City Port Headland I think were one, maybe City of Mandramup and it was somebody else and so I apologize to them for not actually remembering and being a terrible person like that. But well, they was, remember you because you've taken out the oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, it was it was really quite sweet because they um, a lot of them did come up to me afterwards and were like, you know, congratulations, and it was it was wonderful. But I just remember on the night, sort of sitting there watching their nominations, and I might not be able to remember exactly who they were, but I remember sort of their achievements and going, yeah, I've I've got no hope. But yeah, the I guess the little underdog, the little library that could came through in the end. And we were talking about this before, in regional areas, particularly where technology isn't as good as the more urban settings, people still need their physical facilities, you know, going to a bank or going to the post office or going to the library. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, I mean, technology, it plays such a huge part. Um, Library services have been evolving. I mean, ever since libraries were created, you know, they've been evolving. Um, I know people like to say, you know, oh, Libraries need to change for the times to stay relevant, but I think libraries really are one of the places that are the first to change to meet the needs. And out here, sometimes that means keeping old technologies. Um, So I was saying to you earlier that DVDs are still super popular at my library because a lot of people don't have the, um, you know, the the internet access or a consistent internet access. 
Yeah, exactly. They can't get their Stan or their Netflix. Mm. Um, but also a lot of people don't get, you know, mobile phone reception at their house or they don't get, as I said, the internet connection, which means it's really difficult to connect to services online. So they'll come in to access their MyGov accounts to do their tax returns or they'll come in to do those job applications or even, you know, I have some people who will sit there for hours doing online inductions for a job that, you know, they need to do before they start. So it's definitely, you know, a physical library service I think will always be around. It's yeah. always going to be needed. Perhaps we yeah. could use this as a platform to get some better technology <laughs> coverage out in the regions. Oh, honestly, it would be wonderful. I mean, I keep on saying, you know, hey, guys, a new two-story library with a makerspace and a 3D printer and, you know, like more than just two secondhand PCs that I've got, like a whole lab so I can actually run classes and, you know, I mean, that would be wonderful. But somehow, you know, (laughs) the funding for that just isn't there. And so much has changed at the library in your time. You, you, you've seen a couple of refurbishments there, improvements. Yep, yeah. Um, when I first started, uh, so when I applied for the job, um, I'd, uh, I'd left a job as a, um, a team leader for Silver Chain. I was um, the team leader for the resource coordinators in Kingsley for their health service. And I sort of realized at that point, you know what, management just isn't for me. I'm better off being a pleb and actually just getting in there and doing the job. Um, And so I applied for the job thinking it was just a part-time, like it was a part-time position. It was four half days a week. And I thought I was just going to be someone's assistant. And um, I got the job. And then on my first day there, I was like, Sue, who's my boss? And they're like, you are, this is your library. You get to do what you want. And I was like, oh, okay. Good to know. But um, the the previous library officer, she did a fantastic job, but her job primarily was payroll. Um, small local governments, we everyone wears multiple hats. So even now, um, as the library officer, I also do our freedom of information and I help out with our um, community engagement. Um, I'm a mentor on the tutoring youth crew. I'm on our you know, community welfare group. So last year I had to open an evacuation centre and so we, we all wear these multiple hats. Um, and so this poor girl had to do payroll and the library. And of course, people want to get paid. So that was her priority. And the library had kind of fallen a little bit under the radar. We didn't have any activities. We didn't have rhyme time. It was just your very basic services, your books in and out, your interlibrary loans. So when I got there, I was dedicated solely for the library. And because I am a total book nerd um, and actually have a passion for reading, I think that really, really helped as well. So um, it it started off small and... um, just making use of the space I had. But then when uh, we had to completely empty the library to replace the carpet that had been in there since 1963, um, was close enough. Um, Probably since the Queen's last like, visit. Yeah, pretty much. Um, I was like, okay, you know, now we're starting from scratch, basically. We're getting new carpet, so I'm going to make the most of the space. And so... You know, I did my first refurb and actually utilised the walls and just opened up the space a little bit. And then when the um, Shire officers were being 
uh, given a little bit of a revamp, um, as much as it can be when you're in a building that's 60 years old, um, and it was just a little house back in the day, um, they were tightening it up a little bit, I guess, and I was like, right, if we're actually spending some money, this is my plan, and I put it forward to our building coordinator, and they put it to council, and it was actually approved, and now it's I got about an extra third of the space. Um, so I think I'm at about 90 square metres now, which isn't really huge for a public library, but it's it's pretty good. So, yeah. And being in a library, obviously you're surrounded by books on a daily basis. Now, let's d- dive into what sort of genres do you like reading? Um, well, I when I grew up, I was huge into the fantasy and sci-fi and, and things like that. Um, and I always sort of consider myself, you know, sort of a fantasy reader. And then I I love to write as well. And a friend introduced me to fan fiction a little while ago. Um, oh, I mean, a little while ago, probably 10 years ago now. Um, and for those who don't know, fan fiction is when you take an, an already established world or a universe. So generally they're depicted in books or movies or TV shows. And you write about the characters in that world. So I was starting to write that and through fan fiction I was introduced to um, pretty much gay fiction um, and I just it just lit something in me. I I had read some romance in the past yeah. but when it's, I mean I'm not heterosexual, I'm queer, I'm pansexual but I'm in a like I guess a, um, you could say a sexual great sort of passing relationship. I'm married to a man. Um, so a lot of people just assume that I'm straight. Um, but when I read heterosexual romance, I always look at it and I'm just like, that is such a load of bollocks. Like that just doesn't, doesn't have the, happen. Doesn't have the, 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 the authenticity about it. Yeah, it doesn't. And it really pulls me out of the story because I'm like going, oh, please, that doesn't happen. Whereas with gay romance, I get all the nice warm fuzzy feelings of of the romance side of things but i am not a man i'm not a gay man and so i don't have that experience so there's i can sort of i mean obviously i have a lot of gay friends so i know that a lot of it's not authentic but at the same time i can read that and enjoy it without me being pulled from the story um and the great thing about gay romance is it covers every genre so, you know, at the moment I'm reading a paranormal romance and, you know, I've read political thrillers, I've read just regular thrillers, there's rural romance, there's, you know, like just comedy. It covers every single basis, and it, but it just is based around instead of the, the reg, you know, the regular sort of straight romance that always mm. seems to be interwoven in most so books, it just happens old, to be gay. The old Mills and Boons. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And... I mean, a lot of people um, sort of, they, they're quite dismissive of romance as a genre. Yeah. Um, and I mean, at one point in my life, I was too. And they sort of think, oh, you know, whatever, it, it's just sort of porn for old, you know, cat, crazy cat ladies. But romance is actually the most popular genre in the world. It's the biggest selling genre. And people use it as escapism. And to me... That's what reading should be. I mean, you know, yeah, sure. Like some people, like my CEO at work, he, he reads like, 
you know, like scientific tomes just to relax. And, and that's his thing, and, and that's great. And other people sort of read true crime fiction or, or not fiction, like, tr- you know, true crime books. But and, and that's fine because it's all escapism. And I think if you can get lost in a story and just sort of forget about the real world for a while, that's what it's for. You speak about true crime. The Jeffrey Dahmer series on Netflix is getting a bit of attention at the moment. I haven't seen it. I have heard it's that a lot of people haven't been able to watch past the first episode. Um, Kind of makes me a little bit curious, but at the same time, I kind of, I don't really watch a lot of telly. I'm, I am a, as I said, like I'm a You get your stimulation through reading. Yeah, yeah. It drives my husband batty because he'll be like, hey, there's this great series. I'm like, that looks really interesting. And then I just don't ever watch it. And so he's like, I've just watched it. Like, you can catch up later if you really want to. But, Mm. yeah, my nose isn't a book most nights. I'm having a chat with Annie Hudson. Uh, You may know her from her fantastic work at the Bindoon Library. Of course, she's been recognised through the Western Australian Regional Community Achievement Awards for making a difference at the library and uh, also a commendation in the Library Board of WA for innovation and collaboration for the Little Free Library. So uh, you're doing some great work there around the Bindoon Library. Now, take us back to when you were growing up. Unfortunately, you encountered some difficulties. You say that you were sexually abused when you were five years old, and that's had a huge impact on your life. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I grew up in the Pilbara. My dad was a prison officer, um, and we uh, we lived in Robin for um you know, my more formative years. We'd moved there from, uh, I actually was born in Mount Barker and um, spent the first couple of years at um, Pardle Up Prison Farm. Uh, so I was a prison baby. Um, and yeah, so moved to Robin and that's where I I spent, you know, the first sort of 10 years of my life. And uh, when I was five, um, it was actually the, the teenage son of a family friend who abused me. Um, I kind of, it was one of these weird things where it's almost like um, I describe it as a neutral memory. When I grew up, I kind of remembered it happening, but I just didn't have an emotional connection to it. It, it was just the oddest thing. And then um, my husband and I actually high school sweethearts. We met when we were at beginning of year 12 and I was his first girlfriend and he was my first boyfriend and we've sort of gone from there. But it was when we started forming a, a physical relationship that I started having nightmares and getting flashbacks and then realising that those neutral memories weren't so neutral. Yeah. Um, and it it took a long time to work through that. Um, had to, you know, um, I've seen a few psychologists over the years. Um, I've had some self-harm issues because of it. Um, but a lot of self-worth issues. Um, and one of my psychologists sort of says that around that age when things were happening, that's when your self-worth starts to develop. And I was being hurt by somebody who I trusted and yet nobody came to save me. So in my mind, you know, my developing mind decided that I just wasn't worth saving. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really had an impact. Um, but it's one of those things where I'm like, okay, it's happened and I have to yeah. deal with it and, and sort of move on. But I'm very open about it because I was the victim. Like there's nothing a five-year-old can really do about this. And when you don't really understand what's happening to you, um, it's really hard to talk to grown-ups about yeah. it. 
But when you do start to speak to people, it's amazing how, well, and it's extremely sad and tragic as well, how many people turn around and go, I had a very similar thing happen to me. Um, you know, some of my very close family members have turned around and admitted that they've had a very similar thing happen to them. Um, my, You know, one of my best friends has, you know, she's actually completely um, disowned her family because of what her dad did to her. And, you know, it's just, it's really sad how many of us have been affected by it. But so many people keep it, they act like it's this dirty secret and when it's not their fault. Once you started dating your now husband, Christian, was that when you started yep. opening up or were you were you able to open up before that? Uh, no, it was like he seriously has helped me through this so much. You know, he was like so understanding. And I mean, you know, when you're 16 and, you know, like just from him kissing me, I would start vomiting and I just was having these panic attacks. For most 16-year-old boys, they're just going to bugger off and that's in the too hard basket. But he was so empathetic and and supportive and through him I managed to really work my way through it. And it, it did take a few years to, to be a bit more open. You know, I opened up to my family first um, and then found out that I wasn't the only one and then as I grew as a person, I, I started to become a lot more open about it. Um, and I mean, it's not like I go around wearing it on a badge and announcing sure. it to everyone. But, you know, when you're at social gatherings or, you know, if somebody even makes a joke about something, I'm very quick to turn around and go, actually, that's not something that you joke about. It's yes. something that it does have an impact. And obviously a lot of people sort of say, you know, it happened like, you know, 38 years ago, why aren't you over it? But the problem is, is you never that... never get over it, though, do you? No, those traumas... Live with you know, you forever, yeah. They do, and, and as my psychologist said, they, you know, it's when parts of your brain have started to form that they're shaped by that, and yeah. those things don't go away, and you do your best to, to work through it, and obviously some people make... Um, different choices and, and their lives take them different routes and sometimes they're not legal routes and you know and I think we all have to make choices I mean this has happened to me but I'm not going to sit there and, and blame every single bad thing in my life on that yeah. it's something that it shouldn't, it's happened it, sh- it shouldn't define you that moment exactly yeah yeah so now to something a little brighter you've been with Christian now what, over 25 years, you got married in 2003, yep. so the big 20th anniversary, not too far away. Yeah, yeah, next year. We were actually together for about um, seven and a half years before we actually got married, so the the wedding anniversary is never really the big thing that we celebrate, but it's the, um because uh, I think, oh, see, what's my math like? I think we're coming up for, yeah, 27 years together, I think, next year. Yep. I don't know, my, my math is terrible. <laughs> But yeah, so he's managed to put up with me for that long. <laughs> now, tell us how you came uh, from, so you, obviously you've lived all over Western Australia. You, you grew up in Mount Barker and then you followed your, your dad around as a, a prison officer. How did you come to live in the uh, the beautiful Chittering Valley there? Um, we, so my dad moved to Canada um, just before we were married and he, um, he'd, 
once he and my mum had divorced, he had built a small house in Lockridge and he he actually met a lady online, went to Canada, fell in love. Um, and so he was backwards and forwards, you know, six months at a time um, for Canada. So both my sisters had sort of lived in his house for a bit. And then when he decided he was moving there permanently, uh, he was putting it on the market. So at that point, there'd been a bit of a housing boom and we could not afford to live in. We wanted to buy in sort of around Stoneville, Parkville area where we were living at the time. Just couldn't afford it. Um, so we ended up buying my dad's house off him. And that was nine horrible years living on a 350 square metre block where you can hear your neighbours flushing their toilet and every single argument and every time the cops got called out oh, to say Lockridge isn't the nicest area. Um, and it was, we'd been talking for a while about we wanted some, some property. Um, we wanted a lot more than what we've got now. Um, Christian actually grew up on a cattle station up in the Kimberley. Um, so we'd always wanted a bigger property. And then when we sort of were looking around, you know, even 30 acres was kind of out of our budget, sadly. Um, so we decided to compromise and, and we went, okay, we still want to live out that way and we'll look at something smaller. So we're in a rural residential area in Lower Chittering. So we've got five acres, got a beautiful view over the valley. It's gorgeous. Oh, yes. um, yeah. And, you know, every day I drive Chittering Road to work and I just have this stupid grin on my face because it's absolutely beautiful. Um, and you qualify living in the wheat belt by only a few meters. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, pretty, pretty much. Uh, so the Shire of Chittering is the first sort of, you know, we border um, the metropolitan area. So Bullsbrook is the next suburb down and their city of Swan, so their metropolitan area. And then there's this, you know, invisible line that states you've now reached the wheat belt. And I'm very quick to point that out to people because <laughs> I might only be just in the wheat belt, but um, yeah, I'm very proud of the fact that I love it here and I love the lifestyle. So I love to, to sing its praises to everyone far and wide. Earlier on, you spoke about, hey, you, you like to write, do a bit of writing. You also contribute to the local Northern Valleys news there. And one of the readers actually came to you from a long way away. Yeah, I was uh, last year, I was at um, some Christmas markets run by the, um, the Bindoon Bells. Um, so they're like the, you know, a branch of the CWA, which actually between um, having Humans of the Wheat Belt, you know, my interview, I'm actually now a member of them as well. Um, but they were running a, a Christmas market, a Neshi winery. And so I had a, a um, stall there for the library just to promote our early literacy resources. Um, and I had a lady um, come from miles away and she said to me, she was like, I just wanted to stop by and say I read your article every month and I love it. And I was like, wow. I mean, it's it was just amazing that I'm touching people right on the edge of the wheat belt as well and on the edge of where the Northern Valley's news goes. So it was it was really lovely and, you know, um, it's just a nice affirmation that I'm not screaming into the void. Some people actually read my dribble each month, which was great. Newspapers, as we we keep going back to you know the, the technology concerns we have out yeah. in, the, in the in the regions, but physical newspapers is another source that people just can't get enough of out in the regions at the moment. Definitely, um, I mean, when I first moved up here, there was a couple of local papers, and now that's sort of dropped 
and we only really have, you know, the Northern Valleys news and then you've got the Have A Go newspaper that gets delivered around as well, um, which is aimed at the over 55s um, with quite an um, unfortunate acronym of HAG news. Um, I'm sure the, the older ladies who love to read that probably just like to call it its full name. <laughs> but, um, it always gives me a bit of a chuckle when I see it. But, yeah, it's one of those things that, um, you know, I have, you know, Northern Valleys drop off a bunch of papers into the library and have a go do as well. And it's people come in, you know, if it's a day late, they're like, where's the paper? Where is it? I'm like, I haven't had the delivery yet. If you really need it right now, if you go down to the local store, you can pick one up. But they're like, I need my paper. And um, Tamika and Kyra and the, the people who run the paper um, they've made a conscious decision to make it about community news. They don't cover, you know, like the crime in the area or or anything politics or anything. They, it's all about the community, you know, themselves and what they've accomplished. And and I think that's really amazing that it's it's and actually a feel good newspaper. We're seeing and, we're, we're seeing an emergence of that throughout the wheat belt um, because the, the the big corporate newspapers have. Shut up shop, and and we've seen it over in Northern with the uh, the launch of the advertiser just last year. Similar to what's happening at Northern Valley News. Yeah, yeah, and I mean it's like I know people love to joke that you know in the country they're a little bit backwards, but I mean to me it's all about accessibility. Um, you know, you you want to be as accessible for as many people as possible, and sure, in this day and age. Taking your platform digital does make it accessible for a lot of people. I mean, as you know, this is a podcast and and that's something that it's part of this new technology. But at the same time, there are people that haven't or can't embrace that technology. And, you know, for them to, to have access to a newspaper or to, you know, an article or, or even just books, you know, like a, something physical is what they need. And I really saw that um, when we had uh, the um, the COVID vaccination certificates, when we had that mandate, I mean, the state government sort of threw local, you know, public libraries in there and were like, if you need help with your apps, go to the library. And we fought for months and months to even get some funding for that because it was like, well, it's all well and good state government, but we're local government, we're, we're not actually under you and you're sending people our way because they need help but you've not provided any resources for us. And I think in four months I had about 350 people come through the library to receive help. And you've got to remember I'm the only staff member there. Um, you know, our records officer for the Shire who covers me, she's got her own job to do. You know, she'll cover the library on my RDOs but, you know, She's busy enough as it is. So it was only me sort of helping these people because they had to have these certificates to, to do anything like go to the doctor. But a lot of them, they couldn't access it via apps. And I wasn't just helping people install apps on their phone. I was setting up email addresses for people so we could create a MyGov account. So then we could link their Medicare so we could access their vaccination certificate. And it really hammered home to me just, how many people, and it's not an age thing. There are there were a lot of younger people who yeah. just don't have the technology um, to access things online like that. And 
Yeah. You've got to have the capacity to give people options, technology or no technology. And this yeah, is what we learned I'm, out of all this, haven't we? Exactly, exactly. It's Technology is wonderful and trust me, I'm a, a huge advocate for it. I mean, I listen to audio books and I have e-books and you know, I still read physical books, but you know, I, I love my technology, but at the same time, it's not available to everyone. And until it is and people have had the appropriate education about it, you can't insist that people use it because not everyone has access to it. Humans of the Wheat Build, and we're catching up today with Annie Hudson, doing some fantastic work there at the Bindoon Library, and also uh, has a few chickens and fowls and alpacas on the property there. Thanks for joining us today. Appreciate you being so honest and open with us. No worries at all. I'm happy to gab and have people listen. <laughs> You've got a great story to share, so we do appreciate you joining us here on Humans of the Wheat Build. No worries at all. Thanks again for having me. And if any of the topics we've covered have triggered some concerns out there, please call Lifeline 13 11 14 or you can call 1-800-RESPECT, 1-800-737-732. This is Humans of the Wheatbelt here on Listener, L-I-S-T-N-R. Humans of the Wheatbelt is supported by the state government through the Wheatbelt Development Commission and managed by the Wheatbelt Health Network.